I travel around the United States in my RV, meeting real people who share the same love for racing. If you are into RV life or a fan of racing cars, follow along. Hey everybody, I am here today with Mark Green, and Mark is the founder and uh, the creator of a really, really popular um, podcast called Cars Yeah, and uh, I actually appeared on uh, Mark's podcast recently, and he, it's it's amazing. He pumps out four episodes a week. He's interviewed, how many people has it been right now, Mark? Over well. Three- 2,376, I think, is today's number. I I was doing five shows a week until this year, and then I thought, well, maybe I'll throttle back a little bit. We've got two little grandchildren now. want to spend some more time with them. And as my son said, gee, Dad, all you're doing is barely lifting into a corner. So, (laughs) yep. Well, um, I really appreciate you getting on the show today, and I want to uh, kind of share your story with uh, a lot of the folks that are listening and so they get to know you a little bit better and they get to know more about your podcast, which I think would be awesome. So tell me, um, obviously you're very busy with the podcast, but what is your world right now with related to racing? What are you doing and working on and spending your time on? Well, racing, uh, you know, you're hitting hard spot in my heart here, buddy. Um, and first of all, thanks for being a guest on my show. Uh, I used to race. I got a racing license at Laguna Seca. My goal was to race vintage cars. I've been doing some uh, track events in my BMW M3 and Porsche 911s before to see if I liked going fast because sometimes people think they want to race and when they get out there they go I don't know about this uh, a little spooky so I did that first and then after burning up a lot of tires on street cars I thought maybe I should get a proper race car so I went to Laguna Seca in fact I just returned from Laguna Seca I was there for the Rolex Motorsports reunion my 33rd time going to the historic races and uh, going to car week there in Pebble Beach and enjoying all the wonderful, mostly it's people, but the cars are great too, but mostly it's seeing old friends and so forth. So I got my racing license there. And I also did a three-day school back at Road America um, through Skip Barber and did that as well. And thought, you know, this is pretty fun. So I started with something that I thought was pretty safe. Uh, although when I look back, it wasn't a safe car at all. And that was a 1960 Lotus Formula Junior, but it was a proper race car, right? And it felt like a race car and it felt like you're going twice as fast because it's open top and the little skinny Dunlop tires and you go around corners and it's a momentum car, a lot of drifting and throttle steering, you know, with that car, but it was great fun. And we have a track up here in the Pacific Northwest Pacific Raceways. And that was my home track. But I got to race down, well, back when it was called Sears Point, uh, Thunder Hill, uh, Coronado. They do races there out on Coronado Island uh, and a few other tracks around the country. And it was great fun. But I got tired of being at the back of the pack because in vintage racing, if they don't have enough cars that are similar, they put you in groups. And so there was one of the gentlemen who had a Lotus, actually two other people with Lotus 18s, but everybody else was in Formula Fords, which are 1600 motors. We had thousand CC motors. We had drum brakes. They had disc brakes. They had Hewlin gearboxes. I had a Renault Dolphine gearbox that was so delicate that I remember I used to shift it with three fingers and the shifter was on the left and the H pattern was backwards. So if you went from third to what you thought was fourth, but it was really second, 
kabloom, you know, you'd blow up everything. So, uh, but it was fun, but I just was kind of tired of being in the back of the pack all the time. And so I graduated into a 1967 Alola T290 sports racer, much different car, <laughs> big fat slicks and uh, monocoque and much, much faster. And all of a sudden that group, I was up at the front, except for this elderly man in a Frisbee. And if any of your uh, viewers know what a Frisbee is, uh, or if you don't go look it up, it's this big wedge car that basically would blow everybody in our, our pack away, but got to do that as well. So racing was fun. Did that for about 10, 10, 12 years, I think it was. And then the kids college was looming on the horizon. <laughs> I could see the, the dollar signs raising. Yeah. I thought, Okay. So yeah. So I sold the race cars to pay for my daughter's schooling and the beginning of my son's. Um, but I'm happy I got them through private colleges without any debt. So that was a good thing to do, but racing is fun. And right now, as far as what I'm doing for racing, I get to go watch other people race and I get to interview. I've interviewed hundreds of racers. In fact, after this show, I'm going to be interviewing Jeff Zwart who races a lot of different types of racing for Porsche and Patrick Long, who was uh, Porsche's, uh, you know, hot shoe for many, many years, because we're getting ready for Rensport, where we're going to be back in about, uh, well, at the end of September and watching a lot of cars racing at Luna Seca, but they're my favorite cars. They're all Porsches. So uh-huh. there, you, there you go. Yeah, so whenever yeah. you go to the, so you, you probably do a lot of work remotely just from your home, right? I do everything from my house. You know, for a long time, a lot of people thought I flew all over the world and did these interviews. In fact, as soon as we're done with this talk, I've got a a young woman coming in who actually brokers and finds race cars to sell. She's calling in from Antwerp, but I've interviewed people from all over the world. And I remember uh, Barry McGuire, the wax king, right? McGuire's wax. I had him on the show and he said, Mark, he goes, how do you have time to like go all over the place and interview all these people. I go, Barry, little secret. I never leave my home. <laughs> and he's like, what? And I go, yeah, I never leave my house. I do everything right here from my studio at my home. And uh, quite honestly, after 20 plus years working in the previous company I was with, and then 11 years before that, I always said my next job is going to involve two things that are different. No commuting, and no employees. Yeah. <laughs> and so, because I was running a company that had lots of employees and most of them were awesome. You always had a few that always, you know, it's like the bad kid in the classroom that makes it <laughs> tough for everybody. Uh, so yeah, I do everything from here. People call in, record the shows, edit the shows, put them up. And uh, it makes it so nice. I used to say I wear out Michelin's, but now I wear out my slippers walking down yeah. the hallway. So, <laughs> so what? Yeah. Type, what line of work were you doing before you did this? Well, uh, when I graduated, actually <laughs> work, I go all the way back to basically 12 years old when I started my own car detailing business. I grew up in Southern California, a beautiful place called La Jolla, California. Very fortunate. My dad was an architect. My mom was stay-at-home mom. And the beach was just five blocks away. So I learned how to surf. And I loved surfing, but I loved cars. And La Jolla was more affluent. There was lots of nice cars. And so my dad one day, uh, well, actually, let me back up. My next door neighbor was an FBI agent. Really cool dude. He was a bachelor FBI agent. He took me down, showed me all the secret stuff they have. <laughs> he he bought in 1974 the first, there I just dated myself, the first 450 SL Mercedes in La Jolla. 
from Heinz Geats Auto House in La Jolla. And he brought it home and I went over there and he gave me a ride. And I said, do you think someday I could wash your car for you? Because I always wash my parents' car. And he goes, anytime. So he let me back it out of his garage. And I was right next door, but drive it over to my house. My mom's freaking out. Don't drive that car. You're, you're just a little kid. And I spent all day on that thing and I took it back. And I said, well, thanks, Mr. Swanser. I really appreciated that. And I started to walk away and he goes, wait a minute. Uh, I think I owe you some money. And I said, you're going to pay me? And he goes, well, of course. <laughs> and so he gave me $20 and a $5 tip. Now in 74, for a 12, 13 year old kid, that was just one more car wash or two more away from buying a new surfboard. Yeah. And so I went home all excited, showed my dad, and he goes, you know, I think you liked doing that. Why don't you start your own business? So he helped me create a flyer that I was a paper boy. I got up every morning at 4.30 in the morning and rode my bike, my Schwinn Stingray, and threw papers. And so we put it in the papers, and a business was born. So that detailing business took me all the way through junior high, through high school. It paid for my college education. So basically, I was an entrepreneur from about the age of 12. And when I graduated from, from high school, or uh, college rather, a friend of mine hired me to design a logo for him. And I had never done that before, but I was creative because of my dad. And he said, you know, you're really good at this. You should be a graphic designer. And I said, what's, what's that? <laughs> you know, and he said, well, and so I started doing that and I got hired as an intern my senior year of college at a small design firm. I ended up being there for 11 years, got to become, well, after about six months, I said, how can I make more money here? You know, cause I want, I want a cooler car. And he said, well, go out and bring in business, become, um, instead of a designer, you know, become a, a, a person that goes out and brings in business. So I learned how to do that. So I did that part-time, became the creative director and I was there for 11 years. And th I thought that was going to be my career forever. In fact, he had a succession plan that he was going to retire and I would take over the company. And then I got a catalog in the mail from a startup called Grio's Garage. And my wife uh, said, hey, this really cool catalog came and it has a Porsche on the cover. And I looked at it and never heard of this company. And it was in Vista, which was in North County, San Diego. So I called on him and said, hey, we can design your catalog and do a better job than whoever's doing it. Long story short, we landed that account. Two years later, I'd become good friends with the owner, the founder. There was only one other guy working there and a lady that worked on the phones and a kid that would stop by after school and pack the orders that day. But I took a big gamble and I joined that company. He gave me a part of that company. At the time, it wasn't worth anything because it was a startup. But I ended up being there for over 20 years and ended up doing everything in that firm from the advertising design, traveled the world looking for products. We imported and branded a lot of products. We made our own car care products. Uh, we created a factory and a distribution center for car care in the Midwest, even though we were stationed here. And I ended up being the president of the company and running it. So that was a really cool deal because it was all car related. Uh, he vintage raced. That's when I vintage raced. And we traveled all over the world looking at cool cars, going to cool car events, going to racetracks, doing all that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, so that's what I did before this. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I left there. My wife was quite ill and she was bedridden for a long time and I needed to stay home and, and care for her. And my son was away at college. And I said, what can I do from home that's car related? And he said, dad, you should become a podcaster. And I said, well, what's that? Now, this was about 10 years ago. Yeah, I was there about, weren't many. I was about <laughs> to say that is a long time ago for podcasting. 
Right. I mean, Adam Carolla was doing it, but you couldn't even figure out how to listen to it. You know, there weren't these podcast apps and things. There were a few, but so I did some investigations. I called every podcaster that would talk to me, um, joined some podcast groups to learn how to do it. And three months later, there it is, Cars yeah, and the logo over here, Cars yeah was born. And the intention was to interview people like you, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, that's my trademark, who figured out how to wrap their passion for their lives into what they love instead of a career that maybe was successful, but isn't what they really liked doing. And I thought I'd do it for until Jill felt better or for about a year. And then I got a call from a company that said, hey, you don't have any advertisers. Can we advertise? And I went, sure. How much will it cost? And I'm like, I don't know, about a thousand bucks a month. And I got my first check. And I remember opening that in the driveway, I almost cried. I'm like, okay, I think I got something here. This can work. And that's why I chose to do five shows a week for the first nine years was to build up that brand as fast as possible. Yeah. Everybody in the podcasting world that I talked to said, you're nuts. That's way too many, too much work. You can't do it because I'm the only guy here. Now I did have, I have had people that do editing for me and people you can hire, you know, outside to help you with stuff. And I called a lot of people who were very helpful. How do I do this? How do I build a website? I mean, I'm a good designer, but I didn't know how to do all the technical stuff. YouTube is my friend and I know it's yours too, Gary. Yeah. Uh, it teaches us so many things. I always say you can learn how to extract your own teeth on YouTube. So uh, if you really want to do that, but uh, yeah, so here we sit nine and a half years later, 2,376 shows. And I get to talk to you, a guy who's doing what my show's all about, figuring out a way to put your passion into what you do for your career and your life. And I've interviewed people from all over the world, all different types of people in the world, including hundreds of racers too. So uh, it's every day I kind of pinch myself a little bit and go, wow, this is kind of cool. And I've got to talk to some F1 drivers. I ran into uh, Stefan Johansson, who raced for Ferrari and McLaren back in the day when I was at the Quail during car week. He's now an artist, which I didn't know. I met him when he was racing for Highcroft Racing, my friend Duncan Dayton, who ran a racing team, LMP racing team at Miller Motorsport Park. And he was such a nice guy. And I remember that meeting. And so I called him and said, hey, Remember we met at Miller Motorsport Park. You took me for some hot laps in the new Audi R8 when it came out. And he was driving a LMP car that was, uh, I think it was a Honda or something like that. But uh, yeah, wow, here we sit. So cool. <laughs> so how, I mean, what do you do nowadays to find your guests? Do you Are you constantly reaching out or are people reaching out to you? It used to be that I was constantly reaching out. And what I did the first year was I just called everybody I knew. I knew a lot of people in the car world. And I was met with the same thing. Hey, Mark, how you doing? A, wh a what? A pod what? A pod What's that? And a lot of people had no clue what it was because and even today, once in a while, somebody goes, is that radio or something? You know, maybe it's old for older people. I try to pretend I'm not an older person, you know, and uh, but now it's pretty prevalent. I mean, I run into people that go, I have a good friend who's I used to race with his wife listens to a chicken lady because she likes chickens, you know, <laughs> learned about how to raise chickens. So I started by just calling everybody I could um, reaching out to as many people, you know, LinkedIn is your friend in the professional world. And I always, I told people now, I think it's pretty prevalent. A lot of people weren't using that. They were using social media, primarily Facebook and Instagram, but 
LinkedIn is where all the professionals were and are, and I use that to my advantage. And, you know, when you contact somebody and say, I want to promote you and your business for free, it only costs you 30 minutes of your time. I've had very, very few people say no, and it's usually because they're too shy. Yeah. They're, they're too afraid to talk and they're, oh, do I have to be shown? Is it video or, you know, and I mean, for someone like you, I commend you because adding the complexity of video, doing vlogging adds a, another layer of difficulty. And when you're trying to do five shows a week, like I've done, uh, you know, you're trying to stack people, but about year four and a half, five, I made relationships with publishers, with PR companies all over the world. And once they realized that I treat my guests very professionally, now I really don't have to chase people. Now there might be somebody that I, like I came back with a stack of business cards from Car Week, interesting people I met and I've reached out to them and nobody has said no so far. But now I have people that come to me. So I don't have to worry too much about that anymore. Um, there's still my, my white whale, Jay Leno. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Jay, buddy, I've wanted to get him on the show. I've walked up to him four or five times, had him a card. Nicest guy you'd ever meet for a celebrity who's surrounded by people all the time. I don't yeah. know how he goes to car shows. Uh, haven't got him yet. I'm going to get him one of these days. But uh, mostly I've I've had so many people on that I just kind of you know pinch myself. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing uh, this week Louis Canetti Jr., um, you know, I mean, really, uh, race car drivers, people that own big businesses that I go, I never thought I'd be able to even talk to that person. So, um, it's, uh, you know, it's just cool, cool world. I'm very fortunate. What has been the biggest surprise for you as you, you may have had some preset notions going into what these interviews would be, what the kind of things you would hear, what's been the biggest surprise after all these interviews? <clears throat> oh, wow. Lots of surprises. I've had some very interesting interviews, some of them quite challenging. But I think the biggest surprise is I've learned that people in all levels are somewhat shy sometimes when it comes to the idea of interviews. So I stopped calling my show interviews a long time ago. Um, they're conversations. So I have a, a flow I created that has the questions because most people don't like to go into a talk cold. They don't like not knowing what you're going to ask them and being put on the spot and coming across. It's like being a news reporter shoves a mic in your face. No. So why'd you do that today? Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to to have that feeling. So I created what was first an interview flow, but I quickly changed it to the word conversation. And that brought everybody down a level. And for instance, I'm going to be interviewing a, a, a lady after we're done with this. And she's very nervous. She's already emailed me three times this morning. I'm so nervous. I'm, you know, it's just saying, this is just a talk, two car people having a great talk. And once you, I do a pre-show chat with people that I know are nervous to kind of bring them down a little bit. But once they realize you're not there to, to harm them, and if they have the questions in advance, even though sometimes we go off path, Mm -hmm. And you talk about surprises. I've had some guests that we went so far down a tangent that I had no idea was going to ever happen. 
I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, like they're actually talking about this. Um, that those kind of conversations end up being some of the best shows. Yeah, really. I was going to ask you. That seemed like uh, the unexpected things might end up being the some of the most interesting stuff. Oh yeah, I had one guest who I my wife saw him on a TV show where he was he climbed Mount Everest and he takes he created something called the Heroes. His name's Tim. He created the Heroes Project where he takes people that have gone to war and lost limbs out in nature hiking. People with no legs, people with no arms. And he ended up climbing Mount Everest and he ended up taking the first paraplegic up to the top of Mount Everest. And I, I said, well, what does that have to do with me? And she goes, he used to be a chopper builder. He built motorcycle choppers for the stars. He dated Cher for four years, almost married her. And I thought, okay, interesting twist, but we'll focus on the choppers. It's cars. Yeah, we do get into motorcycles and trucks here. Well, we started going down the path of how he got there and how he was seriously injured in an accident. And then he got addicted to drugs. And then he got addicted to alcohol because he was so sad that his life, he couldn't ride bikes anymore. He maybe couldn't walk anymore. And his whole life was crumbling and he used you know, drugs to numb himself. And he met a guy at the Navy hospital in San Diego who said, Tim, you need to make your life about other people, not about you. You need to go find a way to help people. And this is going to be a great segue here when I get to the end. And he started the Heroes Project and his whole life turned around. Well, I ended up doing two shows with him because it was so interesting. And he said, when I learned my life wasn't about the Tim show, it was about helping others. That's when I realized what life was really all about. And I've been hired to be a keynote speaker at some events. And my focus is what I've learned after 2,000, 3,000 talks with people and here is the secret sauce to life for everybody listening. Go find a way to help other people. Whether you realize it or not, once you start doing it at any level you can afford or you can do, once you start doing that, you will be so fulfilled as a human being. And I think a lot of people sadly never figure that out. But for people that do, even young people that are taught by their parents to go out and give back, whether it's helping at a food shelter or animal shelter or your fellow students or what I feel I try to do, I try to help expose other people's businesses and worlds and inspire through their inspiration, the listeners and viewers, you feel really good about yourself. And that is the secret sauce to life. Man, I, I really like that. So, um, and then something you mentioned there too, kind of um, perked my ears up and that was, you know, folks that um, are raising kids and trying to raise them the right way. I remember an example of somebody who, uh, as a tradition, they would give their kids, let, let's just say 40 bucks, 20 is for them. And then 20 is they need mm. to give it to somebody or buy a gift for somebody. And right. um, th those ended up being the most bonding experiences for the entire family. Oh, and yeah. of course, uh, some life lessons along the way. Oh, absolutely. I think if you uh, if you go to church, you learn that through tithing, the whole idea of giving to the church that then can give and help other people, as many churches do. Uh, but yeah, what a great thing to teach your children. And it goes all the way back to like where our kids went to Montessori school and the, t the idea of learning to help yourself first so that you can help others. 
And that's part of that learning process. So yeah, it's, it's cool. I had another guest that called in and I didn't know we were going to go there. She started talking about a day that she decided to take her own life. And I didn't know we were going to go down this path. And so when she said, can I talk about this? I'm like, it's your show. Yes. But I'm like, whoa. And luckily she got caught. She went to, she went and bought some alcohol. She went to buy drugs. She got caught in a drug sting. Thank goodness. Ended up in jail. And she met somebody in jail that basically told her what that, that veteran told Tim, you need to find a way to help other people. So when she got out, she started a Concord that helps raise money for wayward kids who are in desperate times. They have terrible parents, perhaps they're out on the streets. They use drugs to help them find a path in life and teach them that one path in life is to help other people versus helping yourself by stealing and doing bad things. And that show garnered so many reactions from people going, oh my gosh, I didn't know we were going to go there. So I, I like it when things go down a different path. Yeah. Um, and you just, you always say what I do is like in a lot like what you do is it's like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, but it always tastes pretty sweet. So yeah. it's always when that phone rings, most of my guests I've never spoken to before other than emails. I've never talked to them. I really don't know what's going to happen. And you just kind of let them go, ask great questions. It's like, uh, I love Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, habit number five, first listen to understand, then speak to be understood versus what most people do or preconceive what you're going to hear yeah. is open yourself up for listening. So, yeah, it's cool. So you have that Porsche behind you on the wall and they're, oh, yeah. they're favorite cars. So tell me a little bit about what you own right now. What do you drive? <clears throat> Well, you know, you should ask me that 10 years ago when I had a lot of toys in my garage. <laughs> I've kind of, you know, like you, I'm I'm smalling down my life a bit. I'm kind of getting rid of a lot of things. And I think with that comes some wisdom with age of the burden, the anchors of things. But right now I have an E46 M3 in my garage that I bought new. It just turned 18 years old. I tend to buy cars new and keep them a long time. It still looks brand new. It's got low miles. And lo and behold, on Bring a Trailer, I could get as much for that car as what I paid for it, which yeah. for a standard production car, although it's got some cool options like the competition package. Uh, and my wife drives an X5. But the car on the wall here is my beloved Orange Crush. Now, that's a 1987 Porsche Turbo. My listeners know all about that car. Last summer, June, I decided to finally let it go. And it sold to a guy who lives just 30 minutes north of me, a big collector. And he always says, Mark, this will always be your car. You can come up and drive it anytime. But it is now living in a much nicer, this guy's garage is nicer than my house. It's <laughs> He has a huge collection right on the water. Beautiful, beautiful home. So it's sitting there amongst all these cool brethren, other 911s of wild colors. But I had that car for 14 years, I think. It was a very rare car, one of only three ever painted in pearl metallic orange. And I got a crush on that car when I first saw it, bought it off eBay, came off, came from the first owner. And the history behind it, you can listen to some of my past shows about how I learned over time the real story behind that car and what it meant. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I've often thought, you know, you have the fantasy of winning the lottery and what all the cars you would buy. and. Yeah. I used to have, you know, two race cars and two motorcycles and a bunch of collector cars. And I've had lots of Porsches. I've had a couple of American cars. Um, now, um, 
I don't know. I, I don't think I'd have as many cars as I used to think I wanted. I mm -hmm. think I'd go very narrow into just a few specialty things and it would probably be Porsches. That's my, my car of choice. I mean, I love if it rolls on rubber, I love it. And after coming back from car week, when you see all the candy, you know, I want that. I want that. I want that. But do I really want those things? Yeah. I, I want something. I, I like driving cars, not just looking at them in the garage. And that's why I sold Orange Crush. It had become so precious because it was all original and it was worth a lot more money than what I originally got it for. And I just wasn't enjoying it because every time I took it out, I was like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to hit me. I wouldn't ever leave it parked anywhere. And I went, this is not what cars for me are all about. Yeah. And I'm not like Jay Leno. You know, his famous quote, I buy 50 point cars, restore them up to 100 points and drive them back down to 30 and just keep doing it. But his his checking account has the digit far to the sure. right of where mine is. Yeah. So he, yeah. he can do that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, I you know, I do hope you get Jay Leno. I mean, um, maybe just find a way that who, who else is connected to him that could connect you. You know, it's interesting when you get into big stars and I've had some great celebrities, Adam Carolla has been on my show, Spike Ferriston, who's a fellow podcaster, who's, uh, connected to Jerry Seinfeld, but Jerry doesn't do interviews. Um, when you start reaching out to people who say they're friends with celebrities, all of a sudden when you want them to connect you there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't want to disrupt that trust. And, and yep. I get it. I mean, I guess everybody's probably tugging on his shirt tails and he certainly doesn't mean, need me for more exposure because he's, he's out there, but maybe it's a timing thing. I just keep tapping him on the shoulder and maybe there's a, a good time and so forth. But uh, uh, maybe one day, maybe one day, I think it would just be fun. I remember reading his, uh, his book called something about taking it on the chin that goes all the way back to talk about him, uh, parking cars as a valet and how special that was. And that kind of started it for him. But, you know, he is true. Oh, he's a hardcore car guy. Oh my gosh. Guy's an encyclopedia. So yeah, we'll I, I I've seen him in several situations with cars where most people haven't even seen or heard of some of those cars that he's in, you know? Oh yeah. Um, so it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is pretty cool. He almost ran over my son on the lawn at Pebble Beach one morning. Uh, we, we were on the lawn. I started taking my, my son's about to turn 30. And when my son was seven or eight, I started taking him to Pebble Beach with me. And we were walking and Jay Leno was driving in in this massive thing that had, a, I think it had a Merlin Rolls Royce engine in it or something from a World War II airplane. And all these people were yelling at him and he turned to look the other way and Blake was walking across his path and somebody grabbed Blake and yanked him out of the way. And, you know, I hey, almost ran over that kid. And we did go up to him later because Blake wanted to meet him. I said, go up and say, I'm the kid you almost ran over this morning. And he, he looked at me and he goes, is that your dad over there? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, well, if I'd run over you, the car could have been his. <laughs> so <laughs> typical Jay Leno. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 He's a super nice guy. I think he's one of those celebrities that just, I don't know how he does it. Um, he just stops and gets pictures with everybody. He he's, He recognizes the importance of that. I met some other celebrities that I'll just say weren't quite that nice. Yeah. Yep. I understand. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I've really enjoyed learning about it. I, I, uh, I think that for what I love about it is the inspiration you provide to automotive enthusiasts. Well, thank you. And um, I think, I think people that uh, want to learn more about, you know, how people are making it their passion and living it, they right. should listen to your podcast because you well, They'll have an example that just really resonates with them. 
Well, that's what, you know, when I started this, have you ever heard of Simon Sinek? Yes. Yeah. Simon Sinek is a speaker motivator and he talks about finding your why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And I think it's an exercise everybody, no matter what they're doing, should go through. Why do I want to do that? Why do I want to buy that clo those clothes, that car? Uh, why do I want to have that career? Why do I want to hang out with those people? Really ask that question. And for me, I first sat down with Karjan and said, what's my why? My why is three words, inspiring automotive enthusiasts. I talk to inspiring automotive enthusiasts so that together we can inspire automotive enthusiasts so they can figure out you can have a life around your passion. Look at all these different types of opportunities. And if you go to my website and click on the resources tab, you'll see all the categories of people. And even I'm blown away sometimes. Somebody will say, well, how many people, how many racers have you on the show? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, close four over 400. You know, I, really? How did I do, <laughs> I do that? You got to just be persistent. But uh, I appreciate your recognition. And I appreciate you and all my guests because without the guests, who would want to listen to me all day long? I wouldn't want to listen to me all day long. It, it's mm -hmm. about my guests. So yeah, I, I've, I think I've figured that out. So I appreciate the fact that you, you see that and that you were a guest on the show. Well, the feeling is mutual and, uh, you know, I appreciate your time today and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing more of your episodes. Well, absolutely. And for your viewers and your listeners, it's easy to find me, carsyeah.com. I've got a website where all my guests are listed. I'm on virtually every mobile podcast app all over the world. I think 80 of them now. I've got listeners in over 75 countries. And I've got, I'm have got i on all the social media, so you can find Cars Yeah out there. Please follow me. Say hello. I've got so many friends now that I don't even know who they are. It's pretty cool. But every morning, somebody will approach and ask me a question. I try to answer everything. Um, this world of car people just keeps expanding like an onion opening with layers and layers and but without the tears and uh, i think it's pretty cool so i really appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of my story on your show and congratulations for the daring bold things you're doing i, I understand you keep minimalizing now you're in a smaller uh van driving around the country doing your racing and uh that's big and bold my friend congratulations well, you know, I'm I'm still watching from a side right now, not racing, but want to be racing. But yeah. that's okay. I'm filling my time in the racing community, interviewing people that I meet, and and you know, I'm just doing a little different now. Uh, see yeah. if I can keep this up. But I I do go from track to track and mm -hmm. interview people, so I'm completely mobile, um, and uh, you know, I'm liking it. But you know, I I it's a lot of work. Well, it is. I think a lot of people, when they look at what you and I do, they go, oh, it looks so easy. You just talk. And it's like, well, no, there's a lot more to this. But the thing I'll recommend to you that many racers have told me at every track, always have your race suit and your helmet because you never know when somebody will toss you the keys and say, get in the car and take some laps. I have it packed always. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I appreciate right. it. Thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. You bet. See you, bud. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like. But I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag.